0: If you could open your Bibles, please. We are in the Gospel of John, and we are in John chapter 17. And we're looking in and John 17, we're looking at this great prayer of Jesus, where Jesus prays to the Father. And Brian started us off about two weeks ago, where he looked at the first five verses. And that means he's given me the next twenty-one verses to do this morning, <laughs> and it's going to be tough, really. Uh, maybe more for you than me. Um, it's it's like a notion of truth, and trying to take those twenty-one verses in. One go is like the proverbial eating an elephant in one go. It's just not, it's not possible for me, anyway. It's like trying to empty the, the Atlantic Ocean with a, a gallon bucket in 30 minutes. And so, we're just going to, I'm just going to do the best we can. It is just um, absolutely immense a uh, passage. In my reading, some people have said that if that's all you had is John chapter 17, that would be enough to, to explain everything that you've ever needed to know about the gospel. So 30 minutes-ish, will be uh, attempting. John's not here. He's also got COVID this morning, um, so there's nobody to stop me <laughs> if I go over, and, and Matt's very gracious. <laughs> yeah. So as we come to look at this passage, let's just pray first, please. Father, your word is difficult enough without John 17. And Lord, I don't know how many times I've read it. And Lord, it's just... So much in there. And just like we can never know who you are, maybe we'll never get to the depths of John 17. And that's a great thing because it is describing your work, it's describing your son, it's describing you. And you are so astoundingly awesome, we will never understand it. So, while it fills me with a little bit of fear, it's also great that you are so much bigger than our human minds. You are so much greater than the black and white words written down. For they are words in a human language trying to explain something that cannot be explained. But in saying that, Father, help it to make sense this morning. But lift it above just an intellectual thing that's going on and make it something that transforms us. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit come upon us now as we open your word speak into our hearts teach us truth change us, transform us in Jesus name, Amen so just to put John 17 in some context the The occasion is Passover. It's the annual time of year when the Jews would gather to celebrate what had happened thousands of years before in their history. When God delivered their forefathers from the clutches of Egypt who had persecuted them. And God brings them through the wilderness and he gives them this new land. And every year still families of Jews they gather together. They have a meal together. And this is what is going on here. Jesus and his disciples have just finished the Passover meal. And Jesus has been telling his disciples about what is going to happen, that he's going to be crucified, but they don't understand what he's saying. They just kind of get that Jesus has said some bad stuff's about to happen. They kind of look around when he says that someone's gonna betray them and they kind of don't understand what he's saying. And they're all kind of in a fluster. And then the Passover meal is done and when there's some instruction, he says it's time to go. So at the end of chapter 14, he says, come, now let us leave. And so they get up from the Passover meal. And the disciples and Jesus, they get up and they they take a walk and they walk through the streets of Jerusalem and they're making their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane. They're probably walking near the temple. It's probably late at night. The moon will be up because it's Passover. There'll be a full moon. And they're walking, chatting. They believe it's possibly sometime after 9 p.m. And so Jesus has only got at least 12 hours left before he's crucified. And they believe they're walking maybe near the the temple, possibly through the outer courtyard of the temple, near the place where the high priest offers prayers for the people. Leviticus 16 tells us that on the day of atonement, the high priest of Israel, he goes into the temple and he offers three prayers. He prays for himself, he prays for his fellow priests, and he prays for the people of God. And after the high priest has completed his prayers he then comes out and he kills the sacrificial sacrificial lamb. And here in John 17 it seems as though Jesus is deliberately taking over the position of high priest. He's passing near the temple. He offers three prayers, one for himself, one for his immediate helpers, the disciples, and one for the people of God. And yet the real difference here is, instead of going from that place to kill an animal, he is the sacrificial lamb. He is the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And these prayers are found in John 17. It's often called the high priest prayer of Jesus. And John 17 is Jesus praying to the Father. It is the real Lord's prayer. Our Father which art in heaven isn't the Lord's prayer. That's the prayer for the disciples. This is the Lord's prayer. And he's only got a few hours left to live. So what does he say in those final hours? What is his prayer to the Father? What is so important? What is the thing that is on his heart? Because I think this final prayer of Jesus to the Father is an important thing for us to know. If it was me and I knew I was about to die and I only had a few hours left to live and I happened to be praying... I might just be running around mad, but if I happened to be praying, I think I'd be praying for myself. I'd be praying, Lord, I don't want to die. Lord, I don't want this to happen. Lord, deliver me. So what is on Jesus' mind? What's on his heart? Well, John 17 tells us there's an awful lot on his heart. I picked up a book um, in preparation and it's thicker than this. And it's book one of four um, of sermons by Martin Lloyd Jones. And the four books are his sermons, so we're looking at something like this on John 17 that he preached every morning for over two years. So half an hour is just not going to happen. And it's immense. It is just the most incredible thing that Jesus is doing and praying. And the verses I really want to focus on, 6 to 19, is where Jesus begins to pray for his disciples. And even though he clearly has his disciples in mind, Actually, verse 20 tells us that it's not just for his disciples. Verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. And what that means is Jesus is deliberately saying, Everything I'm praying for my disciples, I'm also praying for everyone else who will ever believe. And so that's his prayer for us this morning. And I want us to kind of hone in on verses 17 to 19. Because in my reading of it, this is the thing that kind of stood out to me. The most important thing I felt that Jesus was praying for us in 17 to 19. It will come up on the screen. It says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. The main thing is this. Jesus is praying for us to be sanctified. For us to be made holy. It comes up again. three. I think it's three times there. 17 and 19, sanctify, holy, consecrate. These are all the same word. And the gist of his prayer is this. Holy Father, make them holy. Make them holy. Now it's quite a challenging word, isn't it? Holy, it's not a word that we use in our culture. It's not something that our culture, or maybe even us as Christians, find appetizing. And so, and I know I've done this before, I looked up in Amazon books on religion and spirituality. And I looked up, I looked at their titles. And their titles were things that like, had these words that came up again and again faith, good positive word, hope, spirituality, identity. Anxiety came up again and again. Miracle, prayer, authority, soul, joy, love. Holy was not there. Sanctified was not there. And I would guess that very few few of us have ever read a book on being holy. And when we think of this word holiness or sanctification... We think of austerity, we think of grimness, we think of um, wearing all black and having a narrow pinched demeanour. It becomes very off-putting. But this understanding of holiness is not correct. So what we're going to have to do is understand what we mean by holiness. But also I want us to understand why Jesus is saying that holiness is important. Why should we even be talking about this? So why is it important? Well, first of all, verse 19. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now remember, these are his last words. He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. I don't know if you've ever been with anyone who's about to die. They don't talk about the weather. They don't talk about the sport. They talk about the most important, the most critical things for them. They know that this might be the last time they talk to you. So they have something really important to say. So what is this important thing Jesus has to say? I mean, this is the end. So what is he talking about with his last breath? His last prayer for his disciples He says, for them, I sanctify myself. He's saying, my whole life has been about this. Even my death is about this. Everything I've done is about this. For what? For holiness. For when he says, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified, he is saying the meaning of my life is their sanctification, is their holiness. The meaning of everything I do, the meaning of everything I have, is the holiness of my followers. So what does that mean? It means it doesn't matter whether you know you're a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you know you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're not sure if you're a Christian. It means if you want to have anything to do with Jesus, you've got to be willing to, make, to let him make you holy. Holy. I'm not saying you've got to be holy before you come to him. I'm saying that if you're going to come to him, you're going to have to be willing to be made holy. Imagine if somebody says, the meaning of my life is art. I just love art. And we say to them, well, I'd really like to get to know you. And they say, great. Let's go out, woohoo, And let's go out and let's talk about art. But then I'm like, mm, uh, I don't really want to talk about art, but I want to get to know you. Another person is like, well, that doesn't make sense, I've just told you the meaning of my life is art. If the meaning of a person's life is art and you want to get to know that person, from the very beginning, you're going to have to hear something about art. And Jesus is saying, if you want to have anything to do with me, you've got to be willing to be made holy. That's what he's interested in. He's got this thing on his mind your holiness. That's why it's important. But what actually do we mean by holiness? You know, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, God, it's just like this big list of rules sometimes, isn't it? All the different things we have to do to be good, to be right, to be pure. But to make it as simple as I can, I've tried to distill it down into one heading Holiness is a singularity of purpose. You know, sometimes we think of holiness, of sanctification as a process by which we become more and more good. A gooder person. I know it's not English, but it works. A more loving person. More like Christ. And that's true, but that's not the original meaning of it. For in the original sense, in the Old Testament, inanimate objects were often called holy. For example, Mount Sinai is said to be holy. So how can a mountain be more good? How can a mountain be Christ-like? When a chair was taken and put into the tabernacle, it was called holy. How can a chair be holy? Now, some of you might be stressing now, thinking, oh no, even a chair is more holy than me. We'll get to that maybe in a bit. But also, verse 19, Jesus says, for them I sanctify myself. For them I made myself holy, became holy, was holy. Because why would Jesus need to be holy? Why would he need to be, especially in the light of the fact that John chapter 8 verse 46 it says when he's looking, Jesus is looking at his enemies and they're accusing him of something and he says, who among you prove me guilty of sin? Jesus is claiming to be sinless and if he's claiming to be sinless, what does it mean that he then is being made sanctified? Why would he need to be made holy? So that brings us to the original meaning of the word. It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart for one thing and one thing only. It means to be utterly focused on one thing. And this is where we get the connection with the old English word, wholly set apart. To be wholly focused on one thing. That's what sanctify means. Let me give you an example. Imagine that you're an athlete that says, I'm going to train for the Olympics. I want to be in the Olympic Games, and that's three years away or whatever it is, so I'm going to train. So what does she do? Well, she sets herself apart for that. She sets herself apart. That is her sole focus. Now, just to be clear, it doesn't mean that is all she ever does. To say she's wholly set apart for the Olympics doesn't mean she's only ever training for the Olympics. She does other things. She sees her friends, she calls up people, she might go to the cinema. She does other things. But if she's set apart for her goal of the Olympics, it means that everything in her life is subservient to that goal. And if the things in her life cannot be made subservient to that goal, they are ditched, they're got rid of, they're removed. So where she lives is determined by her training. Why? Because she has to train in the right climate or with the right people. So where she lives is determined by her focus. What she eats is determined by her goal. Every minute of her day, her entire schedule is determined by her goal. How much she sleeps, everything is determined and made subservient to this overarching focus. Another way to put it to be wholly set apart means that every single fiber of us every single piece of us every single inch of us is stuffed kind of down into a laser beam that is headed just in one direction it doesn't mean that all we ever do is all we ever do is this church 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 but it's that everything is subservient to that one goal and if it's not it's got rid of when Jesus says I sanctify myself for their salvation for their redemption for their purification for the holiness of my people what he's saying is I see the path that I have to go down in order to accomplish these things and that's the path I'm going down So when we say we are going to be holy, the outcome of that is that obeying and loving and serving him is no longer one thing among many in my life. It is the supreme thing. And anything else that cannot be made subservient to that goal is got rid of. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this for me, for my job. Is my job subservient to the goal of following Christ? When I'm offered, if I ever am, that promotion at work, will me taking that promotion prevent me from following Jesus? Will this promotion mean I take up or more of my time is gone? Will God be squeezed more into the sidelines because my job is taking up more of my time? Will I no longer have the energy or time to make small group? Will it be so difficult to get up in the morning for my quiet time? And in fact, being holy becomes subservient to my career. And yet when we say we set ourselves apart, This is not something that is subject to to degrees. Think about this for me with a second. Achieving it is subject. Achieving holiness is subject to degrees. By that I mean we might not be very good at it. Some of us might be very good at it. Some of us might not be. But saying we're going to be is not subject to degrees. We're either determined To be holy or we're not. We're either determined to unconditionally follow God or else we're holding ourselves back saying if. Let me see if I can give you an example. When I'm teaching at school, um, I often notice children, not often, occasionally children decide not to do very much work. And my standard question for them is, are you finished? And they normally respond, well, sort of, nearly. And I'm telling you, th- that winds me up so much because they're either finished or they're not finished. And so my response is, hmm, are you pregnant? Now I know that's a little bit of a, a left field one. And they look at me going, what? Um, and they go, no, no. And I'm like, exactly, you're either finished or you're not. I don't know if they understand it, but it makes me feel good. (laughs) You're either finished or not. We're either wholly set apart for him or we're not. There's no middle ground. We're either saying, God, I'll obey whatever. Whether I understand what's going on or not, I will obey. I'll obey no matter what happens in my life, I will obey. I'll obey whether the word of God makes any sense to my rationality or not, I will obey. I'll obey God no matter what the world's opinion of me and of that thing is. I will obey. I will obey unconditionally. And we set ourselves apart. We're holy. But how? How do we do this? I mean, holiness doesn't just happen when it Definitely doesn't in my house. It doesn't happen by simply trying harder. You know, when I think about holiness, I do just think about the Pharisees. And for all their faults, they wanted to be holy. We give them such a hard time, but they wanted to be holy. They tried their utmost to be set apart. It was the goal of their lives to be holy. And yet they were trying to live on their own power. And if we try to do it like that, live on our own power and our own strength, it will just place a heavy, cumbersome burden on our lives. And trying to be holy can weigh us down, oppress us. So how do we become holy? You know, the Bible often speaks about holiness like a fire. Remember when God's holiness shows up there in the burning bush. He said, take off your shoes, it's holy ground. And for holiness to happen in our lives, we need at least two things. And in a fire, we need at least two things. We need fuel and we need oxygen. If you have just one thing, nothing will happen. If you have just fuel, and even if it's hot, if there's no oxygen, then there's nothing, there's no ignition. So we need these two things together. We need fuel, and it says there in verse 17, it says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He says it to make it clear, sanctify sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I don't think we can escape what that is saying. Do you want to be sanctified? Do you want to be holy? Then the truth is the key. God's word is key. When I look at this book, when I let this book, his word become part of my life, I grow when I allow it to not just sit on the shelf and, but to actually become part of who I am. I become more like Christ, and I don't mean we just open it up in some routine, meaningless way. I mean when we let it become part of us in a living way. When I realize that when I open it to have my quiet time, that I'm sitting with Christ that I'm having my quiet time with him that I'm with him and he has something to say to me I'm transformed I mean that thought alone that when I open his word of my quiet time I'm sitting with Christ that Christ has been sitting there waiting for me to join him And we can't grow without this book. If you want to grow as a believer, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to. If you want to get sin out of your life, you've got to let this book become a part of your life. I like what the famous preacher D.L. Moody had written on the inside of his Bible. He said, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And that's the truth. If I let this book become more and more a part of my life, it will keep me away from sin. Or Sin can keep me away from reading his word. And Jesus says it's simple. If you want to be sanctified, let my word become a part of your life. So the word, that's the fuel. And the oxygen, well, we find that in verse 19. Another way we are sanctified is again, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Remember, holiness, sanctification means to be separated, that I'm going to separate myself off for the Olympics. I'm going to go and train. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be separated for you. Let me unpack this a little. In Genesis 15, God shows up and he says to Abraham, I'm going to make your people great. I'm going to make your children great. I'm going to give you a son and eventually in years to come, one of your descendants will be the Messiah who will save the world. And Abraham is like, yeah, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know that you're going to do this? How do I know that you're going to bless me? So God says, he says, I want you to get some animals and I want you to cut them in half. And then God appears as a fire and a torch as in not a battery one, but a flame torch. And he appears and he, he walks through the pieces. He passes through the pieces. And as he passes through, he makes a covenant. And he says, I promise to bless you. And Abraham was flabbergasted. And we kind of go, okay, it's, I don't understand. And, and that's because we don't understand. Because what is going on here is that this was the way that they signed a contract. They didn't have pen and paper or digital signatures or whatever it was. This is what they would do. They would cut an animal in half and they'd walk between the pieces. And this is what it meant was that I will accomplish what I have said I am going to do. And if I don't, may I be cut off, cut off in half, separated from myself, like these animals have been. And this would be a a contract that humans make. It is not one where the superior one would walk through, it would be the lesser one. And what we have here is God walking through. God saying, I will bless you. I will save you. I will redeem you. I will make you holy. I will make you blemishless. I will remove all the pain and the imperfections from your heart. And I will do it even if it means I, God, have to be cut off. And when Jesus says to make you sanctified, I sanctify myself. What he's saying is, I will be cut off. I will be separated. I will take the punishment you deserve. My father and I are going to bless you, even if it means, and it does mean, that I'm going to be cut off myself and when we look at the son of God when we look at the Lord of the universe saying for them, I separate myself there is ignition the fire burns if you don't see that the holiness that God calls you to And you just hear that Jesus died for your sins so we could be forgiven. If you just hear that, that's like light without any heat. But on the other hand, if you just hear you've got to be holy, try harder, be better. If you just hear that, and you don't know the extent of what has been done for you, of how He has guaranteed your salvation. Not that just he's going to help you a little bit, but that he's gone the whole way, that he's been cut off for you. If we just have one or the other, we have nothing. But when we join them together, we have ignition. If we just have the truth without the grace and mercy, nothing. For Jesus, my saviour, my shepherd, my high priest, my high king, how could I, when I know these things, not utterly separate myself for you when you have utterly separated yourself for me? For when we combine them together, when we have truth and we have grace, we have ignition, we then have boom, explosion. And we need to put that thought in our hearts. For their sake, he's saying everything I have done, everything I'm doing now, everything, I was willing To go to the uttermost just so you could be cleansed. Just so you could be perfect. Just so you could be radiant and glorious. The thought of that, of truth and grace, gives us all the power that we need. Gives us all the hope that we need. When Jesus Christ says, I put my whole life on the line to make you holy... What he is saying is that nobody here should give up on themselves because he has not given up on us. Let us pray. And as we pray, maybe the the worship team could come back. Father, give us enough joy in what Jesus has done for us so our lives are like combustion chambers, so that holiness will ignite in our hearts, and that our hearts, our lives, will be ones that have a singularity of purpose to be set apart, to praise your name, to glorify your name. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.